0: Nonetheless, thank you so much and enjoy.
1: When you are seeking for authentic pleasure, not just random pleasure, not just somebody else's pleasure, when you're seeking for your own authentic pleasure, you can only find your own authentic self, your truth. That's You can only uncover yourself, your whole. That's mm-hmm. the destination. That's the being. That's the all. <laughs>
0: Hey, Beth, how's it going?
1: Hi. <laughs> I feel very chilled after three breaths. <laughs> I know,
0: right? This is what I love hitting a little bit of intentional mm. breathing right beforehand. It gets it all mm. nice and yummy and all mm. equalized, whatever's going on inside.
1: <laughs> so
0: tell me, what is your intention for this conversation?
1: When second breath was happening, I thought I'm just so looking forward to enjoying time with you Mm. uh, and having this conversation. Um, And on a grander scale, uh, it is actually to discover something for myself around
0: Mm.
1: authenticity, pleasure, What's stopping it? What can it open up? Yeah. So, and in that discovery, like between the two of us, I love podcasts because it's total eavesdropping. And I love eavesdropping because we find things about ourselves when we eavesdrop on other people, either our Mm. reactions to what we're hearing, or we wish we could like jump into the conversation. So my intention is that people eavesdrop and get something from that pleasure that I have with you.
0: <laughs> this is great. I've never heard that one before, eavesdropping. It's like, I heard it through the grapevine. We're going to see what, what we hear through the grapevine and <laughs> see what pops and shows up. I am so with that. And mm. for me, what I, I, I usually do this, I write this on my arm these days, but I write my intention for the day on my arm. Today mm-hmm. is energy and passion, which is the product of realizing that energy and passion has been lacking in my life. That's... Mm. I have been so like I've been disciplined, I've been working my ass off, I've been trying really hard but what I realize is that I don't have to do it on my own and that mm. I can I can ask for support and and that energy and that passion I think is an energy that's gotten stymied from me feeling like I have to do it on my own all the time and I want to yeah. allow that to flow through because I'm a better person and the world is a better place when I am in good energy and good passion I believe that same thing for other people when we're in good energy and in good passion. So I want to bring energy and passion to this conversation and dive into some pleasurable conversations.
1: That's they're very aligned. Love it. This is going to be fun.
0: <laughs> Sweet. Now I want to dive into what you do in your title behind the, the whole, the pleasure world. But before we do that, I want to create a little context. This yeah. in reality is only probably our third conversation ever. I think.
1: Yeah, actually, I think full on, like second, second, full on, but that was a good first conversation. Like that was, that was a definite, like that felt like more than one conversation.
0: Yeah. That's probably where I got two from. It just felt like two, cause there was such a strong, dense nutritional value to it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. we met through a business development event and yeah. then I was very captivated naturally by the energy that you brought. Hence, that's funny, energy, the energy that you brought. Yep. See, there was an alignment there for on purpose, but the energy that you brought to the space, you had passion about what you were talking about. This is really (laughs) weird that this is coming full circle. No, but like, it's like, not just so like, because it's like, Oh, play on words. Like, no, but seriously, you had an energy and a passion about what you did. That was absolutely contagious. It was very infectious. Immediately. I was like, uh, I don't, I don't fully understand a grok what you do, but I know that I want to have a conversation with you. And then naturally in our first conversation, I realized, yeah, I want to sit down and have a conversation with this woman because that was when I was introduced to the first and only person that I know as being a pleasure coach.
1: Woo. I feel like. <laughs> the great reveal. The great Woo! reveal. <laughs> that felt exciting to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's really hilarious, <laughs> yeah, no that was a that was a pretty awesome conversation, so I'm, I love that you went with your intuition, and that's that's actually what's cool about energy and passion to continue this because it does draw us in it mm-hmm. draws us in toward the 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 thing, whether it's our own energy or passion and passion or someone else's. so I love mm. that that's
0: cool,, mm. even you saying that I wondered the the energy and passion that we experience in others, is, in a way, if, if we find it to be that infectious, maybe it's in a weird way, it's like soul's way of saying, ah, that's us, maybe we've forgotten, or oh, that's something that I want to reflect more of in my life. Because quite frankly, if I could have the type of passion and energy that you do about what I do, mm. as a level of being, not something mm. I have to like force and contrive, but just like a level yeah. of being, yeah. that to me, I imagine if anybody had as much, I don't know if the word is zest, but just like this, this fiery energy about what they do as you do. I think that the, in general, people would be happier in their work environments and thusly that would affect every other aspect, sexually, you know, intimate relationships, you know, family, Mm -hmm. work and other related areas. And I'm curious, because we have so much to dive into what you do.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Where do you suppose that energy comes from, or that passion for what you do really comes from?
1: Wow. There's so many things I felt like like jumping off on what you said. And so, yeah, I'll, I'll try to answer that directly. I answer a lot indirect um, sometimes. <laughs> so <laughs> this will be fun. Here we go. Okay. Um, it's it's so interesting because I was so dead. I was so dead and not I was the opposite of passion and energy. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it really was. I even at a point, like was in a psych ward. So here we go. Let's go on this roller coaster Daddy ride. because uh, I was clinically diagnosed with depression and was really not coping well with life. And as I discovered looking back or or along my journey, you know, checking back, what the heck went on there? What was that about? Is that I really was so <clears throat> shut down around pleasure, passion, my truth, who I am, mm-hmm. that it showed up as intense emotion bottled up and depression, I'll call it a couple of different things, but it's definitely... Uh, all directed at self. It's all this like pent up emotion, often just packaged nicely in rage, and then directed at self. And and in that space, there's not a lot of room, because there's not a lot of room to to breathe and find passion and and pleasure and self, because you got to go through the eruption of all of that emotion to get out. So I went through the eruption of the emotion to get out. And it was it was slightly messy. There was definite definite shrapnel and you know debris and all of this. So that um, all all that to say is what brought me here was I think at some point I couldn't do that any longer. And I'm really, really glad that happened for me. And I don't know if yeah. it happens for everyone. I think a lot of us feel a deadness. And a lot of us are dead and we don't feel it. I think, I think there's this awkward place sometimes where we feel the deadness and we don't know that we can get to the other side of it. And that's what I think depression and mental health struggle issues are. When you actually have an awareness, a hope in hell, because you have an awareness, this is not for me, Mm -hmm. but you don't have a hope because you can't imagine something on the other side. So for me, The passion and the the zest or the vibrancy or whatever this is that shows up (laughs) with me is that it's like I fought my way through all of that. And I really aim. And at this point, and this is like six years after like my awakening at this point, I really, really aim that every moment feels like my authentic pleasure moment. It's truly a satisfying moment. And it doesn't mean I'm happy all the time. Yesterday, I was in a really like blah state. <laughs> uh, but in those blah states, it's I get to ask myself and now I, as a practice, okay, what is it I truly desire? What does I really mm-hmm. long for right now? And even just asking that. Anyway, so I get really excited because I know where I came from. And I know, uh, I know that it's actually way easier than even I did it because I've sped up my my ability to uncover all that debris. And so it's really one of the most. Uh, I feel privileged and 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 honored when people start to unfold out of that and realize, oh my god, pleasure actually is okay and it exists and I get it. Ah, and 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 there's this like beautiful like artwork nature like whatever you can imagine that's stunning to you that's what I get to witness like so I got really really I get really excited about that
0: mm. <laughs> do you think that it was the byproduct of you diving into your own pleasurable experiences that had that transition out of regular depression into perhaps a regular Elevated states of being. Do you think that it was through that journey of?
1: I would say that 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 one of the things that I spent 20 plus years in therapy. So I've been always wanting to fix and make myself happy. It's been kind of a theme for me. (laughs) I'm 46. So 26 of those years, well, post have been six and then pre before that. So let's say 20 of my years, I, you know, so I'm just kind of giving you like a sense because that's it was a long, it was a slow burn to what took me from there to here. Cause in college yeah. was when my depression started, but I didn't get clinically diagnosed until my thirties. And so there was a long time where I really didn't know what to do and how to do it. And I kept spiraling down. So I can tell you though, that there was, um, there seems like may and it, Oh my gosh, it's may. So it seems like (laughs) may is, is the time every year, something drastic happens. And about six years ago, I I, I always lose track of it's five or six, but six years ago, I'm going to say was when this massive thing shifted for me. And this is really when I started to even consider pleasure. And I didn't even call it pleasure at that time. I really Mm -hmm. didn't. I called it letting go. I didn't understand pleasure at that time, and cool. so what what it was is I I started to really analyze. Um, I'd analyze again twenty plus years. Remember, okay, but I there was this this time where I just started to use uh, the artist way method. I love it. Three morning pages, and in that time, so every weird. morning is I I just asked. I just wrote wrote wrote. But every anytime there was like this weird thought or belief or feeling, I would. I would just write down a belief, and and what came out was was these series of beliefs that I started to then dissect, almost like thank God I never had to dissect a frog or anything disgusting. I don't know how I <laughs> missed out on that in high school, but I'm glad I did. But I dissected my belief systems, and today, still to that today, oh my gosh, still to this day, I do this. But it was so monumental because I dissected my beliefs enough that it shook it all up. And I used to literally roll in my head saying, I'm shit, I'm shit, I'm shit. And I did a lot of cognitive therapy, but that thing wouldn't get out of there. And so I'm shit. It was just kind of a way. It was a truth. Mm. And, And it was in this time period in the May six years ago where I'm shit no longer could hold truth for me. It all of a sudden just wasn't true. And what replaced it was I'm awesome. That's a pretty extreme shift in belief, but it, it it's what happened. And it was, it was, you know, I don't, and, and in that moment, I had space to actually consider what do I want or what's possible. And I did not use those words. That's the weirdest thing. I use the words, oh, I want to let go. I want to let go. Like I felt this weight. I felt everything heavy and rah, And I just wanted to let go. So it was like at this point I realized, oh, I could let go of that weight, I guess was the, the awareness I had at that time. Yeah.
0: Hmm
1: and it moved on and i'm realizing now i can speak plainly this is about pleasure <laughs> authentic pleasure
0: <laughs> yeah but it didn't start as pleasure it started as a deep crippling depression that was would weigh on you every single day i would imagine or to some degree yeah. every single day which i can resonate with and i'm sure many can resonate with the i that experience of depression which at first I wouldn't have called it that for me it started in college too and that was the byproduct of just a series of unfortunate events i'm not talking about the book or the movie that is also <laughs> a series of unfortunate events but my own series of unfortunate events and i thinking back on it now it's easy for me to forget that in those moments there wasn't such a thing as having some long-term vision for my life that, you know, I so presently work on on a a regular basis where I'm like thinking like, you know, who do I want to, who do I aspire to remember myself to be? Because I'm starting to remove the word becoming from my vocabulary and remembering because I Mm. rather doing remembering because I like the idea that I came into this world as I was designed to be. And I'm just remembering how to be that versus I have to strive Mm. up a mountain to achieve that thing one day. Love that. In my... Remembering, I, I mean, I re, I remember, as you said, like feeling like you're dead. Lately, I've been like The Walking Dead. I've been playing with it as being a not that it's really this this black and white, but as either being awake or asleep. And to be asleep is to be uh, kind of monotonously living out the experiences of your past, the the beliefs, the thoughts, the the things that we were subjected to either through external sources or even internal. Although I think a lot of times it starts externally, but then we embody it internally and then that multiplies itself. Mm -hmm. And it, I just remember being a zombie every day. I remember not wanting to get out of bed. I remember not socializing with anybody. And I remember years later when I talked to my parents about it for the first time, they had no idea Mm, or at least they think they had an idea. But I definitely didn't open up to them about it, mm-hmm. and to go from something like that to now being on my own journey of like curiously exploring, what does this pleasure, what does this look like? Because for me, I'm I'm the first to know that my journey in my own sexuality has been taboo. It has been blocked off. It's been put with the yellow the yellow tape that they put across oh, murder oh, scenes. Yes, yes,
1: Mm-mm-mm. the caution, caution, mm-hmm. caution.
0: Mm-mm. We don't go there. We're not allowed to. That's, that's the way it was brought up for me. So now, like my body in, in its own right is like this foreign object. Like, what yeah. does this do? And, yeah. and it's, it's being able to shift from being in this sleep, this always asleep state, which is draining and tiring into, I want to be energized. I want to be passionate. I want to experience pleasure yeah. and, and not have it be this, awful terrible thing that becomes benign because it's supposed to be kept behind closed doors and never to be discussed but i think what's so brilliant about what you're doing is showing people it we need to be talking about it we need to be creating safe spaces for people to learn because there are plenty of people like myself whom they feel like martians to their own body sometimes and that can be Maddening, especially in like a sexual context. You know, like yeah. if I'm in a relationship with a partner, which this has been a, a common theme for me, is very charged. Women and like mm-hmm. my charge is like I'm so, I'm always operating on ten to 15 to twenty percent battery life, and I make myself wrong. I'm like, damn it, yes. damn it. Like I don't have that much fucking battery life. How do you have so much battery life, like? <laughs> And like I'm so like disciplined and on it, but that's something you can't force or fudge. Like That is a mm. raw, natural energy. And it's so fitting, I think. And I think this is going to tie perfectly to uh, something I want to ask you, which is, it was just this morning, I came up with energy and passion as my intention. I wrote it on my forearm and I said, hmm, what chakra is that connected to? And when I looked it up, it said the sacral chakra, oh. which is also the chakra that's home for pleasure and sexuality and creativity, which are all things I've been stymied in. Mm. And I'm just like, wow. And when I just realized it right when we started this conversation, I was like, Oh shit, we are going to be wow. talking about exactly what I was researching this morning. Okay. This is perfect. Uh, and now here we are talking about all of it and I'm grateful that this is what is about to envelop with you right now.
1: Um, yeah, this is why I get so excited because it, it's like that's that moments like that happen constantly when we pause to talk about pleasure. It's so often we don't pause to talk about pleasure or even think about pleasure. We get kind of caught in moments that should be pleasurable or we recall moments that should have been pleasurable or we happen upon Uh, luckily, wow, that was awesome. And then we relive it forever or we plan for the next, but to actually ponder pleasure, like Mm -hmm. we might ponder the next meal or we might ponder our, our career. We don't tend to ponder it. And it makes sense why I'm the same. I grew up in a very loving home, very, very loving community. It was actually a very small, 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 it was even outside of a small town. It was a very small community, probably called a Hamlet. Um, and so, like we were right next door to the church, and in our flavor of uh, of cultural and religious kind of upbringing was um, uh, Christian evangelical mm-hmm. and so and it was very much a central part because my parents had just um, got involved in it and in in that uh, religion it's they were born again as adults, and so their very uh, their fervor was quite strong. <laughs> And so we were brought up that way. And I am, and I am INFJ, anyone, I'm a total type system nerd, Myers-Briggs, which is like the Mother Teresa type. Okay. Not saying I'm Mother Teresa, far from her, but I am a, a kind of person that can really be, I, I called it like I'm a believer type, right? I'm a believer. Mm-hmm. And so I re- it really fed me. Um, religion fed a lot of what I, I longed for as a, as a personality. But that conversation around pleasure and, and intimacy and body body was really to the bottom and not even to be trusted, let alone pleasure Mm. in your body. But really like, if you, if you look at us as mind, body, soul, then mind was kind of to the wayside. Some people in religion embrace mind and some don't, but in religion, they definitely embrace soul. And so soul got like front and center body got bottom and really should be ignored and mine somewhere depending on what kind of culture religion you were in, right? Mm-hmm. Like it was side soul or it was, you know, um relegated. I don't anyway, I won't go into that. But um yeah, and so we don't ha- we didn't have the conversation from young. I got I got um my my I'll share boldly here because I think this is important. As a young girl, <clears throat> as young children, we are tactile. Oh my gosh, excuse me. <clears throat> we are tactile and how we learn is tactilely. We touch to learn. And so we touch mm. our bodies. And so there was a time I was touching my body and I was enjoying it. I was very young. I was probably four, five, mm. four or something like that. And my mom was so concerned for my soul. <laughs> But that was a bad thing, right? For her, that was in her early learning of religion. That was a bad thing. And so she had some sort of reaction. I don't even remember what it was, but from then on in, any touching of my body that was pleasurable got hidden. <laughs> and so- At four? Yeah, yeah. I can remember because it was at a certain home where we lived. And I remember the incident. I don't remember the conversation or even the look, but I remember after that, behind couches in closed doors. Like I would still do that because it felt really wonderful. And it saved me from going pee in the middle of the night when I was scared of things. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm wondering if I, I've said that at workshops and I know I'm not alone in that. So um,
0: <laughs> it, sure we all have our own variation of that. Cause it was like the phallic stage in was it not Erickson? Is it Piaget? We all go through Uh-oh. it.
1: Right, right, right. I forget which, yeah. I
0: don't remember. I think Erickson was the mental versus the Piaget's, which I think, or was Piaget's cognitive? I don't know how to go do my research now. This is how it happens (laughs) full circle. Okay, so you were shamed young as a child.
1: Yeah, around body and pleasure. The combo, it was so confusing, yes.
0: Mm. So yeah, I was
1: shamed. And so then, and then that's like when you're saying like the conversation or were, we're talking about the conversation of having pleasure, even front and center, We didn't register it. We're like, you know, we're both sharing that in our college ages, there was this deadness and, and there was no connection to pleasure because it's been dropped off so long ago for so many of us. Not everyone had the same degree, but there's a rain and and there's some who, you know, heightened uh, experience of that kind of shame. So.
0: Yeah. I think that actually you brought this up when in our, one of our, in our first conversation our only other conversation apparently (laughs) was how, Uh, I guess it's not for every person, but maybe this is a perfect tie-in. Maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but either way, it seems like a perfect tie-in. We had talked about the erotic blueprint and how people, based off of their, I think it's five five styles, yes, yeah, that they have what I would guess and imagine would be primary motivators, and a lot of times the primary motivators are things like shame and guilt. And, or at least I think you're, you're going to describe this way better than I could, but the fact that you're pointing out shame and guilt, I think that that is a common, a common, way too common, uh, <laughs> yeah. experience is especially around sexuality is that it is, as we mentioned, is taboo and anything yeah. that when we start to, uh, to walk into that ballpark, there is immediately signs that warn you, say, stay away, stay the fuck away. Because this is not a, yeah, you don't come near here and there's yeah, a And they yeah.
1: get larger as you get closer. Yeah.
0: Yes, there's more of them and there's a fine <laughs> and it says, watch out canine dogs. Even there's no, there's no dogs actually <laughs> there. They just have all of these yeah. various forms of literature and other things that are, you know, designed to, you know, create fear and shame and and guilt around all <laughs> of it. Um, but talk to me about this, because I believe this is a foundational teaching of yours, correct? Is around the erotic blueprint and how yeah. it can, I would imagine, start to unlock uh our pleasurable pleasure potential pleasurable potential or our, our potentiality like for pleasure
1: yeah potential but pleasure potential that is nice um yeah it, it is a really big part of my own personal journey and then now what I really bring into my work. Um overriding the framework I I really share with people is around pleasure first. Um, which is why I align so much with the person who created Erotic Blueprints because she says that all the time. Her name's Jaya May and she created this after 20 plus years uh, doing somatic work, Tantra, all kinds of things with clients and she's kept seeing this pattern and that, but it didn't really click until her own relationship went weird like way off and so she started really diving in because we only do this hard work because we're like wait what about is- me <laughs> what about me right and so she dove in and then she would go back and examine and then all of her clients. and she noticed there was this consistent pattern of what really was like the uh the pleasure zone of different people, so uh, what's what's their superpower? You know, what is it when when someone's really, really they've moved all that shame away? What what is the, the the delicious they're experiencing? And she saw these five different, and then each of the five different types have a shadow because we're not constantly without our own blocks. Because well, I agree with you, we're finding ourselves, we're uncovering that truth, our authentic version and I'm right there with you. I I spent so many years fixing myself so many years thinking that was just what had to happen. Not, not even like finding a future version. It was like fixing this broken thing, (laughs) Mm. but in fact, no, it's uncovering and finding. And so when, when we're on that journey and we, there's, there's these distinct ways that, in pleasure, when we're approaching pleasure or, or in a situation where it's to be pleasurable, sometimes we those things pop up that are still in our way of our authentic self, and mm-hmm. they're consistent. There's consistency, and then for all of the types, there's a turn on type, and so this is this was massive for me. I've been my own journey helped me to see that there's like a pleasure method of of, of living your life, and and focusing first on aiming for authentic pleasure was the way to go as opposed to trying to fix yourself
0: Hmm. because we're
1: trying always like okay what should I get better do better at or what should I fix or and there's like a forcing and there's like a kind of disciplining and I'm not saying those that force and discipline don't have their place but you actually gain more momentum and energy when you're seeking after something you long for
0: Hmm. and
1: so you're not you're not having to strive and put so much energy into this thing we call life and finding the best, most enjoyable version of our life when you're aiming for pleasure. And here's the thing, the moment you aim for pleasure and I will come back to the erotic blueprints. I just want to kind of set the stage for it. Cause if we jump into erotic blueprints too soon, what I find people think is that pleasure is just this tiny, narrow part of our life. And it's not. Yeah. And so, so when we aim for pleasure, we actually, when we're aiming for the real deal, not those like short-lived things, not those like surface kind of pleasure, but like the deep soul feeding, body feeding, every part of us feeding kind, we're satisfied. For sure, the things that are blocking us will show up constantly.
0: Mm-hmm. Like
1: the minute you want to go and have a and dos is always the thing I'll talk about. If that's really your authentic pleasure, which... Like most of the time it is for me. <laughs> <laughs> there will be things that block me from it. Oh, you shouldn't have it. Oh, you're too fat. Oh, you you don't have enough money to spend on that uh, that exorbitant thing. Whatever. Like these were different stages of my life. Because haagen has been with me for a very long time. It's
0: been through thick and thin. It's
1: been through thick and thin. <laughs> so anyway, so inside of that, um, like discovering your authentic pleasure when i kind of you know started learning what this was about three years into my work with people around authentic pleasure and how to remove the shame or those pleasure blocks that popped up what i what i realized is that there was like this missing missing way to communicate it to self and Mm -hmm. to others and so a good person in my world said oh my gosh you have to you have to find this meet this person do her coaching program so i did and i got trained as an erotic blueprint coach and there's about 150 of us now across uh, the globe doing this work because it's so powerful and mm-hmm. to me what it Wait, adds, you're
0: one of 150
1: yeah yeah
0: shit okay continue
1: <laughs> yes it's so exciting to have we are other in the people. presence
0: of greatness people
1: <laughs> you already knew that oh god I, I
0: did, and it just furthered it. Your, your, your. <laughs> if your credibility wasn't already outstanding, one in a hundred and fifty in the world—that's that's pretty astounding.
1: That's funny. I never really thought of it that way. Um, <laughs> so it's like when you can like find out that you actually may have like, because we all love type systems. But yeah. When you can actually put like a, a, a language to it, you can put a, a, a classification. That's why our brains—that's where our minds are very, very useful. They're constantly trying to classify things. Yeah. And what what's useful about that is classification helps us find meaning and helps us to explain to ourselves and discover and explore. Yeah. Anyway, well, I could go on and on. I'll give you like room to speak. (laughs) Yeah. I've lost track of where we were and what I was answering.
0: No, it's perfectly fine. Quite frankly, I'm sure I don't remember the original question either, but something that did come up for me inside of that was uh, something that I'm curious about, which is I've recently started gently paying attention to the concepts of like uh, hedonism and stoicism and uh, more recently Taoism and the, the middle way, if you will. And I'm curious how the concepts of pleasure and how it plays into these various concepts. So in, in hedonism, as I've come to understand it, it's people who are constantly seeking Pleasurable experiences, people who are wanting to ride that that high life wave all the time, versus stoicism, which is like you know more like abstinence and and abstaining from those types of things. And then Taoism, in a way, says it's about moderation, it's about being somewhere in the middle, as it pertains to I would say sensory uh, sensory input, sensory stimulation. That's probably more what I'm looking for. And I'm curious how that plays out in in your own mapping of it all, uh, and if there is perhaps what are the different types of pleasure? Is there such a like the, the quick fling, like, uh, uh like the wrong type of like fake ecstasy, if you will, versus like mm. this ecstatic bliss and dance that happens from like this internal revela- revelation and realization of one's, you know, potentiality. How do you decipher between Pleasure seeking to this extent of hedonism, which, as mm-hmm. I've understood, often leads to more problems than it does good. Mm-hmm. Right? The, the the drinking of of alcohol, the the constant need for sex, and the constant need for and Dazs or whatever it is. How do we distinguish? Because we all have our vices. Yeah. Masturbation was an avoidance tool for me for a while. It was never mm-hmm. sacred. It was always I need to avoid this pain. Let me masturbate. Yeah. How do we distinguish between? an avoidance of something versus something that actually channels energy and passion into every aspect of our life.
1: Mm. I, I'm so glad that you've been studying these three things and that you asked that question because that is where for me along the line, I started to call it authentic pleasure, not pleasure. Okay because I really I I for me dust literally did become a thing for me because addiction is on that other side when you're just chasing after what I call empty pleasure surface pleasure uh, mm. what are the other terms people use there's other um, like the negative ways we view negative pleasure why it became the thing you shouldn't do right there was a reason why culture religion uh, said no to pleasure because they were trying to manage against the excess the the addiction the, right and so there is it, it there is a real thing to be aware of and so that's when I realized ah there's a distinction here to make it's authentic pleasure and this is where it we get to, see the connection between finding our authentic self Mm
0: -hmm. through
1: pleasure, because everyone's authenticity around pleasure is unique to themselves. And it's a, it's an, it's a, it's a dynamic thing. Mm-hmm. So, and, and what I define as authentic is just to try to simplify it for myself. My background is accounting. <laughs> <So> I, think <laughs> in art, I think in Excel spreadsheets. And so <laughs> I'm trying to simplify a thing that can, that for me was very complex and I really needed to like pull it apart and look at, because I asked all these questions. So. For me, the authentic pleasure, which then guards against the hedonism and also guards against the stoicism, is that the right way to say it? But being um, avoidant of pleasure and, and allows you to find what's true to you as are they aligned with your core values? And these are things that you live For. You literally live for. On those days where you think that you cannot get out of bed, you're still existing because of something. And so these core values help to define those. You'll also die for them. People will go fight wars based on their core values, right? They'll go and fight against someone they love based on their core values. So these are really, really important to be part of the framework of what is authentic in pleasure for you. But that's a very heady thing sometimes. And so you have to also add in. Your life's intentions, and this I got from um, oh, I've lost her name. There's a woman who did, does work on um, the energy of money and money. We talked about chakras, money and sex and passion. They're all in the same chakra. It's all around your value and your creativity and your core, and hmm. and it's uh, and so she, she that was a piece that I got aware of. Wow, your authentic pleasure really has to also align with your life's intentions. And what I mean by life's intentions is. Who are you being if you're fulfilling your life's intentions? So if you're going to climb a mountain, who are you being? Well, you might be brave, you might be adventurous, and you might be slightly crazy. So if your life every day does not feed that brave person, that, that adventurous person, and that slightly crazy person, you're probably not aligned with your, your authentic self, your authentic pleasure. But then that was still even kind of like, oh, it wasn't really grounded enough into like everyday practicality for me. And so then I, I kept going forward. And that's where erotic blueprints came in because I realized, oh my gosh, there's pleasure types. And and that's when the love and my nerdiness around type systems just went. Ding, 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 ding.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Your pleasure types are like a rounding out of who you are as a personality and mm-hmm. not to box people in, but just to start like, pointing to a bit about who yourself is starting to discover aspects of yourself. So like Enneagram, uh, Strengths Finder, Myers-Briggs, any good, like anything that allows you to discover aspects that you might relate to. And Erotic Blueprint feeds into that. And Hmm. the creator of Erotic Blueprint, she did this in the context of sexual pleasure, but you could call it Pleasure Blueprint also. And I'll share with you more on that if you want to know, but I just, I'll pause, but that's to me, when you're aligning your your pleasure, any pleasure, it is we get inundated. At least here in Canada, I'm up in Toronto, Canada. In the U.S., it's a very odd culture of very pleasure obsessed, but it's also pleasure repressed, and 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 it causes this strange place of we think we should do pleasure this way, but we shouldn't do pleasure the way we really want to, and so authentic pleasure allows us to navigate away from those addictive and self-destructive behaviors.
0: Mm. Okay. So this is really cool. This is at least how it's piecing together my brain. You just said we're obsessed with pleasure, but at the same time we are oppressed. And naturally what I find in my own personal life experiences of a 24 year old on his way is that Oftentimes, the thing that we want the most is the thing that we can't have. We wanna to touch the red button. Oh yes. We yes. want to fucking touch that red button. Yes. Because you told me I can't. And by nature, yes. you're telling me I can't. <laughs> I, I wanna yes. hit it a hundred <laughs> times now that you've told me not to do it, right? And I think, which is especially even really interesting, you know, it's difficult, there's no manual for parenting, but when parents say, you know, kids don't do this, this, and this, and they go <laughs> do every single one of them times a million in college. <laughs> Because now they're like, yeah, my parents aren't here. To do whatever the hell I want to do. Um, but your point about the the strong desire for, but the oppression, how I was just pointing at hedonism versus stoicism, mm. which would say the avoidance of it versus the overindulgence of it, and then the middle yeah. way being, as I understand it, Taoism is this the moderation? It's being able to, I would imagine, the authentic pleasure is being able to distinguish between what is authentic for me versus what am I using to, as I have been playing a lot with recently, is filling a hole versus becoming whole. Oh, and wow.
1: That's great. That's that. Uh, I, I'm sorry, I got to cut you off because that is a great gauge for your authentic pleasure. That is mm-hmm. great. I would even say maybe if there could... I love Taoism. Like I've started to dabble in learning about it and bringing it into play. Moderation isn't... I'm not a big fan of the word moderation as a practice alone. Mm-hmm. I really, really believe we have to find our own version because excess, what might appear excessive to someone might actually be your authentic. So moderation can often dampen mm-hmm. your own authentic pleasure because that's very relative. What's excessive? What's what's moderate? I don't know. So um mm-hmm. But so how you just said that, can you repeat that? Because I feel like that's a really lovely gauge that is a good question to ask, an internal check.
0: Yeah, am I am I doing this to fill a hole or become whole?
1: Yeah, brilliant. I like, I'm literally gonna write that down. <laughs> that's,
0: lately, there's a few things I've been running with. That's a big theme. And of course, even in the becoming whole, I think it's more of a remembering, but I think just because it sounds more like, sounds better with the fill versus become, but even remembering our wholeness, again, the same thing is- this is something I'm going to have to meditate on because like you're, you're, uh, challenging some of my thoughts, my, my ways of thinking and not in a bad way, but in like a, okay. Cause like now I'm playing with this whole idea of moderation, but to your point about moderation being, uh, it's no one size, one size fits all, right? Like the average 2000 calorie diet, guess what? I'm far more active than the average us person. Mm-hmm. I'm exercising X amount of hours. I should probably be eating more of certain things than some people by nature of me being more active, by nature of me being out in the sun sweating. So what is moderate is heavily dependent upon what is you, what is authentic, what is your authentic pleasure, what is
1: your truth. Exactly. And that's where, I think that's why our first conversation, we're like, oh my gosh, can we talk more? Because there is a distinct alignment, when you are seeking for authentic pleasure, not just random pleasure, not just somebody else's pleasure. When you're seeking for your own authentic pleasure, you can only find your own authentic self, your truth. That's, you can only uncover yourself, your whole, that's Mm -hmm. the destination. That's the being, that's the all. (laughs) So when I now practice on a daily moment by moment basis, being in my authentic pleasure, I'm actually practicing being my authentic self, they're one and
0: the same okay, so when we do this, when we begin to tap into it, because really, as with every great transformation, it starts with an awareness of a uncovering and remembering mm-hmm. oh damn, this is my. Pleasure blueprint, if you will. This is my my moderation, or this is my my authentic truth inside of pleasure. How does one begin to create that awareness?
1: Yay! I do you know why I love the question? I sound like a total child, but it does get me so excited because that is the most important question. How do I begin? How do I do this? I want that. And it is so much simpler than we think. I spent a lot of agony, <laughs> but it actually is so much simpler than we think. One of, there's, there's a couple of ways that I generally recommend people to start. And one is mental, like with your mind. Because mm-hmm. so much of us have really well trained, well active minds, we're mm-hmm. very, very familiar with our mind world. <laughs> and then one is body related. Yeah, right. We live mm-hmm. up there. We were trained to live up there. That's where we got more of most of our, our uh, comfort level of being. And if you want a shortcut, then you can actually also do a version through the body. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna share both um, because again. If you want to shortcut it, just do both. And then soon you'll find that the body version is way more enjoyable and quicker. You don't have to actually <laughs> understand it all. Um, so <clears throat> how do we get started knowing our authentic pleasure? Literally moment by moment. And I recommend people, whenever you're taking a drink of water, whatever your beverage of choice is, <laughs> that you ask, what, I, what do I really want? If I had everything my own way is a great way to ask it. Alison Armstrong is someone who I've read I love her. She talks about um, relationships and um, she uses this word, if I had everything my own way, because it's really childlike and it helps us to get into that state of if I had everything my own way, which is usually the last time we really, really let ourselves imagine we could have everything we wanted. (laughs) So if you practice on a daily basis, even just one time a day, at one moment a day, asking yourself, if I had everything my own way, what would I want right now? And this is a very cognitive way to start training yourself to ask, and even allow space to ask this. And you'll and just notice what happens, because even if you ask that right now, yourself and myself, what I'd everything my own way, what I what would I want right now? All kinds of things come. I'm on a podcast. I can't have everything I want right now. So all of the reasons why I call them pleasure blocks, why you can't have the thing, will come up. And then you start to actually realize how far away you are or how close you are to your authentic pleasure. So that's the first starting point that you can use your mind to do. And the body one, I'll tell you both. The body one is literally as if you're going to the doctor, okay? You know how you go to the doctor and you have to- Cough, cough? Describe-
0: nope, different one? Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I don't experience the cough-cough, but I know of the cough-cough. Right, so. yeah, yeah, I get
0: it. <laughs> Different one. Sorry, wrong, wrong podcast, guys. Tune in for the next one where we talk about cough-cough. That's the name of the podcast.
1: Oh, that's too much fun. Um, so when you go to the doctor, you have to describe your whatever your ailment is, right? And you describe your body in a certain way. You are yeah. very descriptive of your body. And they first – oh, and if you go to the auto mechanic, same thing. You'll have to describe mm-hmm. it with certain descriptor words. So what you can do is you can start doing that for yourself. Oh, what do I feel in my body? Once a day, and I waking up in the morning is a good time to do it, unless you're a night owl, so that at night is better, depends when. Or again, you're on the toilet, you're having a glass of water, things you're gonna do every single day. And so once a day, you're gonna ask, your, you're gonna actually notice one of your body parts that you can feel the most, because oftentimes mm-hmm. it's our shoulders, maybe it's our stomach, because sometimes we get butterflies. I don't know. And you, and then you actually describe it to yourself as if you were talking to your doctor, because if I asked you, you think about, okay. And you may have already done some work like this. So an average person, if I ask them, what does your body feel like? Oh, it feels stressed. Oh, it feels, t- uh, I, I, it, I feel, uh, I, oh, I can't even think of some of the words right now at the top, but we don't generally say, hot, oh, unsettled. my muscles are, is, what's that?
0: Could be hot. Could be unsettled. Yes, and unsettled. Anxious. There you go.
1: There. Unsettled, anxious. Exactly. Our bodies don't, we would never tell our doctor that our body, that my elbow feels anxious. That The doctor would be like, well, what does that feel like? And so when you can start actually feeling the sensations,
0: hmm. and,
1: and, and sometimes it's very hard to, like I'm realizing I don't have a clue what my elbow feels like. I mean, it is a little chilly right now because I moved my hand, but if you touch <laughs> your body part With your other hand, you can then cause a sensation. So my hand is freezing for some reason. So my arm feels cold when it touches it, if I didn't feel anything prior. And I'm telling you, those two techniques are the beginning stages of starting to become aware of what is your authentic pleasure. And there's lots of learning to give, but like you could literally practice that and be done with us on this conversation and you will start to observe really where are you at in the world of pleasure and realize you could start adding it so and the, and, the, and sorry i should explain the body thing the yeah. body thing a lot of people don't realize our body is an early warning signal to our brains it, it knows in advance if we're in pleasure or if we're stressed or if we're anxious it knows ahead of time but we don't often pay attention to it because of what we said earlier body's body is bad (laughs) yeah so so if we can get back to hearing what our body is saying we actually have advanced warning and a heads up and you may even realize that you have way more information in your body than you realize like your intuition all of that stuff but the very beginnings of my learning around my body was oh wow I didn't even notice that I get like little like twitches or something every time i've got to go to an event i don't like and and so then i can just start noticing twitches for example and and the yeah so there's you asked a simple question that's a very long-winded answer
0: (laughs) okay so there's two main ways we can do this one is cognitively one is through our body cognitively is through asking a question restate that question for me please
1: if i had everything my own way what do i want right now
0: okay if i had everything my way what would I want right now? And then the second is through our body, which in essence you're I'll saying- them,
1: uh, Yeah, body reveals is what my, I learned this through Jaya with the erotic blueprints. Actually, it was a re, is really where I brought, embodied a lot of the practices I'd already learned. And so, yeah, she calls them body reveals. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. So then in the body reveals, this is about focusing on the sensations and using descriptors that actually describe a feeling. So, a
1: sensation, a yeah. Sensation. A feeling is a feeling. Often gets mixed up. I a sensation and feeling are synonyms, but it also has other meanings. So, a okay. sensation.
0: So, if I grab my arm and I say, "Oh, it feels hot," yes, would heat that be a sensation?
1: Yes, perfect. Okay. Anything you would tell your doctor? That's an easy way to remember it. <laughs>
0: We all need to practice talking to our doctors, people. If you're like me and you avoid doctors at all costs, then your skill or your proficiency might be at a lower ah, level. So we'll work on it.
1: Yes, <clears throat> yes. Anything you would tell your, your car dealer about your body? Yeah, no, that doesn't change. Okay, I don't have a... I don't have a <laughs> <this one. laughs>
0: okay, so now we have some tactics. Yeah. I personally, and I'm, I'm just way fascinated by this whole erotic blueprint. Are yeah. we ready to... Uncover. Have,
1: oh, see, this is perfect. This has been foreplay at its most. This has been absolutely cheating, anticipation and. It plays no. into
0: my type.
1: Right. <laughs> okay. So there's five types and I'll, I'll give you like, I, I literally tonight I'm doing a two hour class on this. And even mm-hmm. that I can't get enough in there. And, and it's a five, eight week, sorry, an eight module usually over, over 16 weeks uh, program. Like it's not, it's dense. Okay. So I want to give you guys a, a, a taste of this. So there's five types, energetic, sensual, Sexual, kinky, which is, I'm going to call, I'm going to ask you to consider that it's called naughty, okay? Because kinky conjures up a lot of ideas
0: mm-hmm. and it's
1: not any of those ideas and it could be any of those ideas.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it is both is and is not.
1: Correct. So we'll come back to that. I'll explain more. And shapeshifter. So that's energetic, sensual, sexual, kinky slash naughty and shapeshifter. Okay. And all of these types, you may already be like, Oh my gosh, uh, what is that? I've never heard of that. You I know, sensual, blah, blah, blah. So just throw out the window, everything you already know, (laughs) consider this is like nothing you've ever heard. And, and then I'm, everything has a superpower. Everything has a shadow. Everything has a turn on. And I'm just going to give you a couple tidbits, examples. Um, And all of this is very much focused on eroticism in the bedroom, nakedness with yourself, knowing your own body or sharing and expressing your uh, your relationship with another human. But it truly is a way of being around pleasure in general. But we're going to mm. zoom in just for a moment around, around the erotic moment, okay? So um, energetic. This is not like Energizer Bunny. It's not like you've got endless energy. It's not like that. No, that's it, me. It, it, right. <laughs> Energetic means that you can feel the energy and you are very aware or you have the capacity to become very aware of the energy around you, in you, in others. You know the vibe. You feel vibes. Vibes matter to you. (laughs) So for this person, their big turn on is space, anticipation, tease. So if you're an energetic out there and you're like, oh my gosh, you've been loving the fact of like, yeah, you know, this erotic blueprint thing is that we're going to talk about it, but we didn't get right to it. Like that anticipation felt lovely. Yeah. That's (laughs) me. So superpower of energetic is they don't need to be touched to experience pleasure because they're experiencing it on an energetic level. So you can be across the room and experience intense, erotic pleasure and pleasure in general so that's a superpower of the energetic uh uh, type and and the shadow is and it's kind of you can see where this lines up with that particular superpower the shadow is this person if you get too close too fast you are going to turn off you may even disassociate from your body and disconnect from body. And yeah, you're going to go through the ropes if you're in a relationship, but you are not present. And so another hmm. shadow that happens is that person can actually, that type, is more prone to um, uh, being in a trauma circumstance because their boundaries crossed are crossed much more frequently because their boundaries are so much further out. And they're not aware of it. And this is the least known erotic pleasure type. Energetics who finally realize that this is like a way into eroticism are like, oh, I thought it was asexual. I thought there was something wrong with me. I thought my libido was low. I thought and their partner was like, I thought that of you. I thought that of you. I thought that of you. So it's a really massive aha. Yeah.
0: Okay. So this is really interesting. Space is a necessity, which I find to be fascinating. So, I when I went through this whole process, I believe that this and another type, kinky, or as you said, what was the other word you said, uh, naughty, naughty,
1: naughty, if yeah. you will.
0: Uh, those were my primaries. However, I think primary was the was the kinky. But in this one, you just brought something to my awareness, which is the importance and need for space, or at least in the beginning, right? There's in a way, it's almost like this unconscious, unconscious energetic need that needs to be satisfied through, uh, some level of teasing through some level of the unknown, perhaps of what is around the corner. So what is something typical that is really going to get these types of people like in their zone, in their pleasure, what, is, what is going to activate that for them? Yeah,
1: that's a great question. Um, Anything that would be... So I'm going to anchor it to what we kind of know in the world. Yeah. Anything that's considered uh, romance or um, foreplay will... Land in the neighborhood. Now everyone has their own for like flavor of what that looks like. You know, yeah. some it's totally cheesy and not at all appealing, but that concept is going to be a turn on for this person. One in particular is literally eye gazing, connecting eyes. It doesn't even have to be that major thing, but eye connection, connection is massive, massive way to spark something in this person also dialogue but there's yeah I want to make sure because I I, I'm realizing this I we could dive into this can I go through all of them and then we come back and talk because it is I find it very hard for myself to I really will dive in too far and then I'll miss out and then poor shapeshifters and and kinkies will be like wait I wanted to know more
0: (laughs) 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 yes we can do that
1: okay okay so sensuals they're they're like amazing so sensuals basically are turned on by sensory things so it's it is as the name seems so muse sounds music um sometimes silence um smells uh candles certain essential oils whatever it is your thing um uh, mowed grass um anyway so you get the whole point the whole idea so when they're in their pleasure zone they're having full body pleasure because they love all of the senses all the touch all the smells everything and environment is like so important for them so their shadow actually is they're in their head constantly because everything is talking to them uh, like, for example, right now, I just got annoyed by this plant bugging me. That was bugging me. And so that turns me out, that gets me out of the moment, the present moment of pleasure. So in sex, that person's in their head constantly. What do I look like? Oh, that smell. What's that smell? Oh, your breath. Ah, oh, stop touching me that hard. Like, it's just nonsense. And it's it's great. And I can say that because I I am a sensual. <laughs> So it really can take you out and turn you off. Like really just shut it all down real fast. Mm. Um, if something shifts in the environment, that is not your version of pleasure. Okay. And a turn on for them, so many. But once you know their certain type, like meaning, uh, sorry, there's certain tastes in their senses, then a, a meal, music, dancing like anything like art or going to a museum these are all turn-ons and Mm -hmm. and and then when you're getting to eroticism then you just keep building up to that but um again energetic and sensual they're not the get right to it. We're going to get to the get right to it person in a second. <laughs> so they like the building up, right? Now, energetic, absolutely longer. The sensual, yeah, they love that. Like that meal ahead of is really, really delicious for them. Or the music ahead of getting into naked moments or meals and naked moments, whichever. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, so
0: <laughs>
1: turn on. Yeah, so I covered the turn on. So then I'm going to skip to sexual. The sexual, and again, this is an abbreviated, there's a lot more here. And so know that if you don't quite hear yourself in this, um, you may wanna do, there's a quiz and you may wanna do the quiz to learn a little bit more about it. So um, sexual is the get right to it. So you've been annoyed like crazy for how long it took me to get to erotic (laughs) blueprints back when we said it, you're like, okay, great. This is going to be a great great podcast. And then you, maybe you're not even here anymore. You might've gone.
0: (laughs) I'm gone until now. I came right back. I'm like, yes, here we are. Boom.
1: (laughs) So the, and what, what the superpower or that pleasure zone is for the sexual is they really bring, ease and fun around sex. They really, really do. They—they they, Sex for them is like air, water, food, sex. It's right there. It's one of the most essential things. What gets them in their shadow zone is foreplay. They think people are insane and broken if they can't just get like turned on like that, they think they, they they'll they'll really be in a oh, in a, I'm better than you in sex. If you can't do that, and they also are if a, if an orgasm doesn't happen, they're really either hard on themselves or hard on their partner. We blame either our partners or ourselves. It's just kind of how we do it because we were brought up in a very judgy kind of culture. Uh, all of us. Um, okay, so that's sexual. The, oh, their turn on is anything. Now, they're very classic-y, like what we see in the media, okay, around sex. Um, So anything, innuendos around sex, direct touch of erogenous zones, loving it. Uh, Sex jokes, like they just love it, love it, love it. So, um, okay. Kinky. I'm zipping through this.
0: Kinky. I'm not a sexual, but I like, I like sex jokes. Cause they're just funny. When, when somebody is willing to put one out there, I'm going to appreciate it because I am the guy who's like, yeah, be, be your most authentic weird self right. around me. So that way I can in, indulge in the delicacy that is your beautiful expression. And so,
1: yeah. And that actually might come out with the, I've never, not really seen it, but I can see why that would fit with kinky because you shared kinky where you showed up as, Kinky's, so I'm going to call it naughty for a moment here so you can detach from whatever kinky means in your mind, everybody who's listening, because we all mm-hmm. have a version of what we think that is.
0: Yeah, most of us are probably going to thinking that one time I read Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah,
1: exactly, exactly. So kinky type is the person who enjoys something that is naughty or taboo for them. Mm -hmm. So I always use this classic example that, um, the creator Jaya uses is where she had a client who was like, they were in their seventies. They'd always done missionary position. They went home (laughs) after doing a session with her. They were like, they came back and they were so excited because they did a different position and they were like, we're kinky. That was so exciting. So Clearly, wow. that isn't what we would think of as kinky, but that turned them on because it was taboo and on an edge for them. So hmm. it's what is your edge that turns you on. That's the kinky. And their superpower oh. is creativity as a result because anything can be taboo and naughty. Everything can ha- be, be used as... Uh, I mean, look, lipstick, I got lipstick, lips, think of a thousand ways. I'm sure your mind is going wild of, of ways you can make this erotic or pleasurable. Right. And maybe that's why sex jokes actually align with a kinky person because there's creativity and you get to talk about taboo in public. So that would actually fit up with kinky as well.
0: Yeah. Imagine so, that the, the guy who's all about radical truth is all about the the taboo and the expression of the taboo.
1: imagine, imagine. <laughs> I too, um, and and here's the thing: our our types. I like I too, I'm central kinky. Our types are our starting point. I talk about them as if you're going to travel the world. There's five continents. You happen to have been born in one spot. So that's your, you know, that your language, of uh, first language, et cetera, it's your easy point, it's your default, it's your revving yourself up, but you can actually expand into all the pleasure types. There's no boredom needed here in the world of pleasure because you get to travel the world of pleasure. So mm. um, the shadow of kinky is shame actually is the biggest shadow and they deal with the most shame because if you think of it, their pleasure is right up at what's taboo so they're constantly at a moment of pleasure shame pleasure shame pleasure shame and so that's a very interesting journey around pleasure mm. because there's a lot of self-discovery there's a lot of finding yourself in that journey of pleasure actually because you to, if you're if you're going to fight for pleasure you also have to learn how to navigate shame very very effectively as a, as a kinky or playing in the kinky continent of pleasure
0: yeah <laughs> And yeah. I can imagine you have to be an extremely smooth sailor in an experienced sailor in that realm because I know for myself that pretty much 99% of my sexual experiences in my life have been. Ridden and shame and guilt mm. and mm. not enoughness and and all of that that shows up and normally pleasure is extremely missed i've and i've expressed this to partners in the past and i always tried to get them to see it objectively because it was just i didn't understand myself but i would say that most of my sexual encounters throughout my entire life were almost exclusively n- not really that great and it wasn't <laughs> their fault it was you know, whether it was because of sexual trauma from the past I'd experienced, or if it was, you maybe use this and I didn't know what I was about, or there was some energetic blockage, whatever it was, that was prevalent. And I always tried to get them to understand and have an awareness that way there wasn't this heaviness on them, but normally it did. It normally came back to them and they were, they felt bad. Like, well, this is my fault. Like I'm supposed to know how to, to, to make you experience pleasure. And it's like, no, it's not. It's not your job. It's my job to know and to communicate to you. And sure, we can go down this road together and learn together. And we can make this a conjoined effort, much like how I want to, you know, go down this path with you. But at the same time, there has to be a mutual understanding that as long as shame and guilt and make wrong and fear and unworthiness and sadness are the context from which we are creating, there is absolutely no space for love because you can't have two things in the same place. You can't have love and have shame. Mm. And you can have an intention of love, but you can't have the experience of love if shame is what is present.
1: Mm. And
0: to remove that from the equation and to be able to acknowledge, hey, shame's gonna come up, but hey, it's okay, there's no wrong. It's it's going to come up. The in, the inevitable truth is that it's programmed mm-hmm. for, you know, into me or you or whoever it is. But being able to see it and say, ah, oh, there's the shame and to communicate that with one's partner and say, I'm feeling really shameful right now. I'm feeling really gross. I'm feeling this isn't your fault. This is on me. But I just want to talk about it because you're my partner and I care about you. And yeah. this is something that I haven't really personally put into practice. But I know that me being on this mission that I've on with radical truth and honesty and how liberating it started to happen or what it's rather what started to happen as a result of doing it has yeah. been major, but the thing that still scares me the most is being radically honest regarding my sexuality with a potential partner whom in my brain, I haven't sealed the deal with meaning opening up about these types of conversations. If, if we're not in a committed relationship, because, well, if you know this about me, then you couldn't possibly love me.
1: Yeah.
0: And that's, oh my gosh, it's hard.
1: You're tying in so much because we talked about like how we, and so many of us, I would say all of us to a certain degree experienced a shutdown at some point around pleasure Mm -hmm. and then especially around body and then combining Mm -hmm. the two pleasure with body. And so there's so many messages that aren't just in our minds. Remember, like I was saying, like we have to try, we can address this cognitively or we can address it in our body. They're also in our bodies. We embody those messages. We embody those experiences and, and so you're, yeah, like, I'm, I'm so glad you paused up the, the topic of shame and, and how, what I've, if, if there was one thing out of that, that I would want to say is that we're this misunderstanding that our sex life is a coupledom only is, is such a disservice to our relationships mm. and, and, I think a lot of us now get that no one is responsible for my happiness, Mm -hmm. but no one's responsible for our pleasure either. And, And why I think that's so entangled is because if we if I say to people, how's your sex life? Which I rarely say so bluntly, but let's say they know what I do. <laughs> <laughs> how's your sex life? How's your sex life
0: going? Well, you know, it's it's how's about you? as dry oh, as the Sahara over here.
1: <laughs> it's def-
0: that 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 basketball scoreboard looks like zero to zero to zero to zero <laughs> in the past. 10
1: years. Right. <laughs> okay. And okay. And this response is actually often what comes up. If people know what I do, oh, well, I don't have a sex life. And what, what, if the biggest thing I can impart on people who are in relationship and people who are not yet in relationship or who don't even want to be in relationship, because there's a lot who are choosing intentionally to be alone, like not alone, but on their own. And is that, We are actually having a sex life journey ourselves from birth to death. And if we're in partnership, our partner is having a sex life journey from birth to death on their own. And at some point along the way, you choose, or you should you choose to come together in relationship, you then have a third sex life journey. And obviously, I'm speaking in a broad term what I mean by sex life journey, but I really am meaning about our relationship to our body and our body experience in the world. Mm. So we all had sexual experiences from very, very young and we probably would have never called them sexual because, of course, in our culture, that would be just disgusting would be the term. Right. Mm-hmm. But if you think about it, a hug is a, 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 a body relatedness that is sexual in certain contexts. And so we're learning about hugs as children. We're learning about consent or lack of consent as hugs, as children, or kisses, goodbyes, greetings, physical greetings with loved ones. No one really sees that as a sex act, but that's a training that lives with you when you get into sex encounter that's a typical sex encounter. And then you talk about the specific occurrences like First time, you know, that you discovered you have a body part that feels good. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> or a wet dream or, mas- or, or um, menstruation. Like all of these things, you have these moments. And they're outside of your relationship. Those all feed in. And moments that were pleasure supposed to be pleasurable and they weren't. And there was trauma around that. And so all of that is a part of your sex life. And what becomes so empowering for a single person coming into a relationship, if they've already gotten clear on what is my authentic pleasure around my body, around my whole world, I, do I have language for it? Do Can I even let myself think about it? Can I verbalize it to myself? Can I journal about it? You don't even have to verbalize it to any other human, but if you can verbalize it to yourself, and then you get into a private relationship with because a lot of people are very private. They wouldn't even share this with their close friends, right? But that's not even necessary. But if you can practice languaging it and conceptualizing it and embodying it, when you get into a relationship, those concerns around, oh, what if I share what my pleasure is? What if I don't know how to talk about shame? If you haven't practiced it on your own, it is a very scary, scary circumstance. It's very high risk, actually. Hmm. High risk. And so we often avoid it. Until then I see couples who are lifers and they've they've spent a long time not communicating <laughs> and it's actually really, really hard to repair from that place.
0: Mm-mm. That doesn't work. Yeah. No. When when we revoke our abilities, humans to communicate, which obviously is all revolved around truth. When we withhold our truth, as I've been saying that truth withheld is poison and truth mm. expressed as mm. medicine. Like yeah. it's, that's just what's so. And especially in, in intimate relationships I know that the times when I had healthiest relationships is when we were in truth is when we would we would have those difficult conversations when we'd be willing to dive into that uncomfortability even amidst you know the potentiality for shame right you open the door and immediately you see these words just pop up and there's like a potential for shame and guilt and 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 everything that comes with diving into potentially controversial topics when you go through that thickness, what is often on the other side is a sense of freedom. And yeah, it requires some level of discomfort, but resistance is is the compass towards that which we seek the most in life. It, it, it has occurred to me very frequently.
1: Resistance is futile also came into my mind. <laughs> what movie is that from? Resistance is futile. Anyway, I, I, I don't have some random thought that came in my mind. Shapeshifters are probably dying out there. I'll share that briefly. And I know we're coming to our end. Poor shapeshifters. I love you shapeshifters. Actually, the majority of my couple's clients, one partner is a shapeshifter because it can be mm-hmm. a really interesting thing to navigate. <laughs> um, shapeshifters love pleasure of all kinds. And they are turned on by all of those types before us. They are the chameleon and they are the shapeshifter. They are the superhero of sex. They actually have a Winners.
0: Great,
1: they are Winners. The, they have this massive capacity for sexual pleasure. And, and that's one of their superpowers because they can meet their partner in any space. They have the capacity for it. Now, a lot of them, the downside is they can also carry the shadows of all of those types as well. Um, and one of their common shadows is that they feel like they're too much. They're they're too much. Even in everyday life, they're told to focus. They're told to uh, they're we're expecting too much. They're wanting too much. They are too much. Uh, so that's a really key shadow. Um, and turn ons for shapeshifters really are when all of those types are mixed in. They love the, all of them together. That's their most satisfying pleasure is when they get a little bit of all of those other four types. So um, yeah, that's kind of the gamut of all the erotic blueprint types (laughs) and there's more elements to the blueprints, but that's the type system. And it's really, even if that's all you ever get, that's a huge, that's a huge piece that is so missing for us to know in this world or our conversation around pleasure in in the bedroom.
0: Okay. So right (laughs) First and foremost, if you're somebody who is dating a shapeshifter, better start researching because apparently you have your hands full with identifying what is one perfect scene with all of the, the, the different, the different mechanisms and bringing all together. That's that's fun. Uh, and if
1: you are dating or with a shapeshifter, you may feel like you are backed into a corner and you don't understand why. That's usually the experience. <laughs> no, that's so. Sex. Sex. no more. (laughs) I need a break.
0: So now, now, so we've, we've, we've played with a little bit of them. We've created a little bit of foundation. Can we dive a little bit deeper into each of them? What would be, because I think the original question I asked you, Ooh, let's get through them. I was like, okay, cool. Was what is, what is a scenario that would really activate each of mm. the types. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it would, it would vary from person to person depending on their particular interest,
1: but yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: There, I would imagine there's some kind of baseline.
1: Yeah, that, well, we can just play and be creative um, about it, and then people can kind of take it from there. Um, So a scenario that an energetic and here's the cool thing is we're not just one thing. We are a blend. And so um, that we won't really get into that. And there's something called stacking where you could actually play with the ordering of them. Mm -hmm. Um, So we'll just keep it very simple. So let's say you're 100 percent energetic type. And. You would really, really love anything that is allowing you to connect with yourself, with the universe, with soul. People tend to gravitate towards Tantra practice. Um, And so if you don't know about it and you think you're an energetic, go check that out. That's a great practice for you. It's a very soulful, spiritual practice. relatedness to your body. And so that's, that's one way. Uh, I don't know if that answers your question. You're asking for a scenario. Like, are you like saying like a uh, date, like date examples or uh, evening outs with your partner? What are you, what would help answer that question?
0: Yeah. So but play. Think with-
1: it's like so wide, the playground of that question.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm imagining like, take me in like a little mini, uh, like a, like a little mini flash of a movie, like a, like okay. a scenario, like a scene that they would really appreciate. Which, by the way, that answer was was really great, by the way, the uh, the layout for the energetic. Okay, that let's was, go for sensual, sensual then.
1: Okay, let's go for sensual because then we've ha- answered that for energetics a little bit. Um, sensuals, uh, for their their your experience of the sensual would be very much um, enjoying the beauty of life,
0: mm-hmm.
1: enjoying the environment. So that person, if you are that person, let's talk about an individual who is not in relationship because it's really important that we feed our own pleasure type. So you would be really wise to plan an outing for yourself. That is well thought out about all your sensual needs what clothing are you going to wear would really, really, really matter. So pick the most enjoyable clothing. Oh, when we were starting to the, do the filming of this, you saw me like dealing with what I was wearing. Oh, do I want my sweater or not? My sweater's here because <laughs> I'm a sensual primary and it really matters to me enjoying the moment and being present to the moment. So as a sensual, that really matters. So if your partner is sensual, you may ask, Oh, do you need a sweater? Do you need that? Is there something that can help you with the temperature, for example? Like anything, like the environment. If you're mm. paying attention to it, where what's your most delicious food that you want to eat that time? And again, our taste buds change, so you get to discover in that moment. If I had everything my own way as a sensual, what would I enjoy and indulge in? That's where Hogendos comes in. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> and would I love to go and listen to music or live music? Would I love to go dancing? Would I love to um, be enjoying a, a landscape that I, I adore. Um, and then that will really set the tone for you mm-hmm. to then come and be connected to your body and come back and be, and you can be connected to your body in, in a very PG way. And it's also erotic. And people forget this literally think of how delicious handholding is when you're first dating. It's, it, it seems so PG, but that's one of the most, they say that the hands express so much. And so it's one of the most erotic things you can do. And so sensuals love that, especially. So that's something on sensual. Hmm. Um, sexual. Let's set the stage for sexual. Now, I'm going to use a shopping experience to like really translate this. Not sec- I'm not bringing sex into this. But a sexual will be a shopper who knows exactly what they want. They will have a shopping list. They will go in. They will get it. They will pay, they will leave, and they will be done. They get right to it, and they're satisfied, and it's done. Boom. Anything that lingers or delays will drive them crazy. Um, So for them, erotically, they... That would mean
0: me. I would drive them freaking bananas.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so some pleasure types, they have lost in translation situations. So someone's speaking Mandarin, and the other person's speaking uh, English from England, and they're like, I do not compute. And so you can learn each other's languages. So I want to encourage you. You can learn each other's languages and have a whole other world open up to you. Um, So the sexual loves quickies. They love doing things... Uh like they they might be like, okay, let's I'm having a lunch break. Uh let's meet, let's rendezvous, and we're gonna meet here. <laughs> and, and they would love to do some sexting, but not too much, because that's too much for maybe five minutes before. Um <laughs> just to plan out what you're gonna do. Okay, I'm gonna do this, you're gonna do that, <laughs> <laughs> and then they get right to it and you're done, and then you're back, and that was super satisfying. And let's do that again for dinner. So they would do that. Um Kinky. Oh my gosh. Kinky is like so many scenarios. One thing I didn't mention is kinky, some kinky types, naughty types. They don't even need to fulfill on a fantasy. They are a psychological kink. They actually get thrilled by the idea of naughtiness and to play it out isn't really their thing. And then there's others who are a sensual uh, kink, like a um, tactile. And they are more into the ropes and the bondage and all the Fifty Shades of Grey kind of stuff. Okay? And, and you can be both, but sometimes you can be one or the other. And so a great date for uh, kinky is take them to uh, a place where you can go on roller coasters or you can fly out and jump out of a plane or you do something you've never done before that will terrify you slightly, but you feel safe, like you feel safe, but you're terrified slightly. And then (laughs) then you'll get them all excited. And that will actually be a turn on. It literally will lead into an erotic turn on. And then you really do need to be aware of safety, meaning are you feeling safe? Not comfortable, safe. And so that is really key to not trigger the shadow side of the kinky type. And you need to own that for yourself. You need to know, and you can practice this and play kinky with your by yourself as well. You can um, imagine things. You're you and you can even use like you can use ropes, like do it safely, like a scarf or something. So this is an example of uh, a night out with yourself at home <laughs> in COVID times. Take a <laughs> uh, tie of your or like a scarf or something. You you do it safely and you put it up on something and then you make your own resistance and then you masturbate that way. That's a great example for a kinky and you can add in some, I don't know, character or person that you'd like to engage with and you can bring the psychological in. So that's, man, kinky could be everything and so many things. So that's a bit of kinky. Shapeshifter, oh, okay. Shapeshifter (laughs) Shapeshifter tend to be like, I want sex all the time. I had a client. For uh, and there was a there was um, time issues were part part of the challenge of why they weren't being intimate in their relationship and so we mapped out what were what was the ideal time what was the existing time and how do they want to actually own their time and make time pleasurable and so he <laughs> he had done one spreadsheet <laughs> which was his like wish list but then he did another one and again we did this in Excel because I'm a total nerd but um, and so he did another spreadsheet that literally had sex all the time and he's like that's the real one. It was so funny. That's so the real one. <laughs> so a shapeshifter is basically constantly thinking of sex as a topic. They actually will philosophize. That sounds exhausting. It yes, for their yes, for a lot of people it is, but the shapeshifter, they can't turn it off. It's like you talking about truth. You probably can't turn off the topic of truth. A shapeshifter can't turn off the topic of sex. It's actually a, an intriguing subject, almost like, Someone who races cars, they love racing cars, but they also love learning about cars in the world and the history of cars. Not only do they love having sex, they love philosophizing, thinking, considering about sex. So for them, a great evening would be going to some uh, new sex thing. Like, so maybe a sex class or uh, 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 watch a movie that has eroticism in it. and then you could weave in all of that stuff, do some eye gazing, do some talking and engaging and, and, and being connected. And then um, and then come up with a naughty scenario that was like, you know, you talk about what was your what's your fantasy. And and then and this is all over dinner, which is very, very delicious. And the environment is just perfect. That would be a lovely experience for a shapeshifter because you hit all the points. Oh, sexual. And then definitely do a quickie in the bathroom.
0: There you go. That's your night
1: for the spaceship. Too.
0: Boom. <laughs> <laughs> there. Wow. That was fun. This is all conversations that are brand new for me. And Can I say when I, when I, when this was, a, this was an idea, baby, little did the idea baby know that this was going to be a conversation on, on it. And it was when, when it found out it was very excited. <laughs> okay, so we've we've gone through the five types. I'm gonna do my best to recap. We have the uh, energetic, the sensual, the kinky, sexual, and the shapeshifter.
1: You got it. Yeah, nice.
0: We can, much like the enneagram and often are a mixture of multiple of them and not necessarily, I think you you made a good point about this, that these aren't meant to be confining like somebody's listening and they're saying, oh, but I'm more than one of those, right? I'm it's like, it's meant to be more of, a way to create a foundation and then you go through and continue to create the awareness and I think some people get messed up about it is, oh, well, it's not precisely down to the T right if our analytical types, which is me, by the way, I'm speaking about myself (laughs) who who, like really, really take it to those depths and everything has to be perfectly lined up on a spreadsheet. If it doesn't all check out, then uh, there must be a lack of validity to it. But to, to really embrace it for what it is, which is a foundation. It's a way to start to distinguish and see, ah, okay. I took the test, which I I do recommend taking. I took the test. That was when I found out I I reaffirmed something that I, it's like I knew it, but I needed to remember it. And, and in a way it created a level of compassion for myself because even now I'm still going through like the, having to get over the shame and guilt of it, but I at least understand it more to where I can say this, at least right now is not going away. Mm. And instead of trying to resist it, which I'm very clear that my results going down that path have been very Mm. lackluster at best. I, I can choose to create a context with a partner down the road. Where these types of conversations aren't off the table, and if they are, then that's probably not the person for me. Matter of fact, in me knowing that about myself and me saying this is something that's important to me is being able to have this openness, my truth. If someone doesn't align with that, then I'm very clear that well, then that person probably isn't for me. That there's probably that's someone who is yeah. more well, uh, more likely to be able to to satisfy that person, and that's what's important for them in that moment. Yeah. What has me curious. Is I am the type where if I'm not exploring sexually inside of a relationship, I'm more than likely not to because mm. of my own deep philosophical and analytical mind surrounding what is right and what is wrong. So, for example, in some practices, uh, I don't know if it's stoicism, but definitely in some of the more esoteric principles, where it says, you know, non-release. Don't don't as a mm. male don't yeah. don't ejaculate and don't release yeah. because you are essentially sending out your your creative energy you are draining the very life force that animates uh physical physical, physical bodies uh as a french term as i've under, come to understand it le petite mort which means mm. the little death we okay. die a little bit every single time we do i don't know the validity of this just what i've heard people like myself are more than likely to not engage in solo practice because of some idea of how it's supposed to be but i guess what i'm kind of dance around and alluding to is what, what are healthy ways to begin practicing self practice, uh, by yourself, if you don't have a partner, cause obviously if you yeah. have a partner, uh, I think that that probably simplifies a little bit more. It's, you know, figure out what your, figure out what yeah. your blueprints are and then start communicating with one another and, and start figuring that out. But for someone who is maybe on the shyer side of doing that with themselves, where, where would they start? What does that personal practice begin to look like?
1: Yeah. Um, two things I want to, I want to share just from a perspective of being around this a little bit. It's actually way easier to do it as a single person than in couple, because you're not balancing and ping ponging off of other people's shame. Also, it's a lot harder to navigate and it, and that, that I couldn't say enough. And it's, it's, such a cultural thing that it's easier with a partner it has to be a very very good partnership that is full of communication and you're willing to and able to navigate shame that is not yours but comes up and it might even be directed at you so it is way and that takes a skill (laughs) set and so it is way easier to do this on your own so your question is so so important and then the other thing I wanted to share, there is a dis- differentiation and we, most of us are not taught this, but orgasm and ejaculation are separate functions. And oftentimes they happen at the same time, but you can orgasm without ejaculating.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
1: there—that that is there. You can then practice um, maintaining your chi, your energy inside of you, if you choose, if that's one thing that's important to you. So you can learn how to orgasm. And there's, there's um, practicing... On how to do that. It's a little more advanced, but it's how to do, um, I can't even think of the term right now, but basically where you learn how to bring yourself up to different stages of pleasure and then you pause
0: hmm. and
1: then, you, and then you allow yourself to sit there and it's almost like you're step walking up and you can train yourself. P- you, people use this to train themselves, how to hold on to orgasm so that they can be in sync with their partner to actually to build up chi and energy and then maintain it and not ejaculate um so i can't think of the name of that shoot doesn't matter but the concept is you build yourself up to a pleasure and then you pause before you get to the climax and you stay there and you experience it and you breathe it through your chakras and your whole body Hmm. Uh, Yeah. So that's a really, especially for someone who's energetic, that's an amazing practice to do. And if you just focus on that one thing, that's huge to try to bring yourself to. So do what you normally do for masturbating and self-pleasure, but pause uh, two steps before your climax. Because when you get too close to climax, it's it's very frustrating. You don't want to frustrate yourself. Mm -hmm. You want to come to the point where you're feeling a nice peak, but you pause and then you actually... Practice breathing that into other parts of your body. How far can that sensation that's around your pelvic zone, normally it's only in, sometimes it's only in your vulva or your penis, right? Because we just are so centralized around this and we're so disconnected with our body. So if you can practice breathing it into the rest of your body. Yeah. And see, oh my gosh, could I get it to my big toe? Could I get that sensation to my eyebrow? I don't know. That's That takes a skill set. So don't rush yourself. It can yeah. take a lot to get it to your belly and get it to your to your thighs. Wow. And that's, that's amazing practice for a single person. The other thing is, like you said, is to learn the uh, erotic blueprint. You can practice learning about yourself through erotic pleasure, but sometimes that's not enjoyable as a single person. And it actually feels frustrating and feels unfair. We're very much in that mindset. You should be in a couple. You can practice your erotic blueprint and pleasure type, I call it, you know, uh, outside of the bedroom. You can actually start finding pleasure. And remember those questions, uh, that question I asked, what would I really desire right now? What, if I had everything my own way, what would I want right now? And then try to feed yourself answer that question in line with your pleasure type and really start to discover outside of the bedroom if you can we are pleasure starved not just erotic pleasure starved and when we feed our pleasure in one area of our life it is feeding our pleasure period people Mm -hmm. think that if we're not getting sex then we need sex to resolve it it is about pleasure as a whole person So that's what I highly recommend is you can practice bringing that into your self-pleasure somehow, or you, uh, meaning like just try different touch types, uh, take a class to learn a little bit more of that if you need some help with that. Um, and then also practice that in everyday life, uh, at the table and with a meal. Do it energetically, slowly, do it savory, make lots of sounds while you're eating your food, do it sexually and just gobble it up and just think, wow, that was awesome. Do it kinky and, and eat a meal naked. Uh, do it erotically or shape around and weave all that in. You can do this in any area of your life as practice. <laughs> and you start to use the language and you start to get comfortable with pleasure language. It's very, very important. It really eradicates a lot of shame. Hmm.
0: So in a way, it's it's taking all that going from now we have an awareness, but now bringing it into a practical day to day thing where through the natural doing of the thing, we remove, gently remove the layers of the onion of shame yes. and uh, the cloud and the mist of the unknown. And we begin to cultivate that, which uh, in a solo practice, I think is important because if you're like me, if you don't have a partner, you just eh, fuck it. You know, I'll just wait till I'm in a relationship But I'm clear that in a way it's like avoiding doing the work It's like but if I were to do this work on my own and to really get to the root of Mm -hmm. What is it that i'm about? What do I like? What what drives my pleasure? Then when I come to a partner i'm not having to To give them a blank ass map and say here figure it out and tell me
1: it's very Uh, very stressful It causes so I I I coach couples who are in their second year first year of relationship And it's already stressful at that point. It's already become a thing and you would not Mm -hmm. Yeah ever, as a conscious person, you would not go into a relationship saying, I'm going to deal with my nutrition and food. I'm not, I'm going to make my partner and I figure that out together. And I'm fine if they do that with me too. No, Uh, like you, you work on your own desire for what your health is, like physical health otherwise, right? You, you don't want to like say, oh, I want to wait until I get into partnership to figure out my movement or my sports I want to do or my yoga. You don't do that. Uh, You know, that causes problems. If you just Wait for hmm. everything to get better when you're in relationship for your perfect life to show up. We just have a missing in the area of pleasure because it was a missing conversation. So we just assume that's a relationship thing, but it's not, it actually can destroy relationships.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Oh, it all starts at home.
1: All starts at home. <laughs> this was awesome. Okay, I loved this so- conversation.
0: It's been brilliant. I have one more thing I want to ask okay. because that came, it came up in my awareness as you were talking, which is, uh, this has a, been a controversial thing in my space as well, which is pornography. Oh, yes. And I, I just felt compulsive mm. need to ask mm. because I've heard about the the brain science behind it. It literally like jacks up our gray matter and and how it has negative effects and and for someone like me who didn't have uh there was a time where like pornography was the only way that I was Mm -hmm. sexually uh expressing myself and Mm -hmm. there was a lot of shame and guilt around that even like acknowledging here in an open microphone I'm just like uh, the fact that I'm saying I'm actually saying it with like very little hesitation about it but that was something that was very very hidden was the use of of pornography because of all the shame around it but what what is your experience of that as it pertains to this field? Is it something to stray away from? Is it something to be avoided at all costs, exit off? Or is it, Hey, you know what? Every once in a while it has its place. Why not? Or maybe you enjoy the taboo of and You watch it with a partner or whatever it is. Like, what is your personal take on it as it pertains yeah, to our erotic is, pleasure? Uh,
1: I, I'm glad you brought this up. This is a really, really common dilemma. I would say, um, there's a lot of opinions and a lot of strong opinions out there. And then you get into relationship and those strong opinions haven't gotten anywhere. And it can become, very hurtful of self, like you think something wrong, I'm broken, I can't stop this, I have to have this. The partner's like thinking, what's wrong with me? Don't you like me? Don't you love me? Do you think I'm ugly? There's just, Mm -hmm. it, it, it has a very destructive nature to it, But I don't think the destructive nature is the thing itself. I think it's what we've labeled it as. And I'm not saying there isn't Mm -hmm. destruction in pornography. Pornography itself as an industry has things to look at. Like a lot of industries, there are things to look at in the pornography industry that are... Um, like conscious. Are they conscious? Are they, are they, um, are they really being uh, their higher selves in the way they're designing those environments for those people doing it and for who they're thinking of it. And, and, and then there's the underground and the, the underage and all that. There's a lot of, um, Hmm. Is it conscious content or is it not? And I think that equates to how we put anything in our brain. And so when we, when we so for example, what are you watching on Netflix, everyone? Like, same thing. Is it conscious content or is it not conscious content? And, and so if we can peel apart what pornography is, I think it's really, really important. Remember I told you about the dissecting of ideas and beliefs? There is so much layered shame on pornography, partly because it's related to body. And if we pull the body piece out and the bad and wrong about body, then there are other layers to look at. So that's when I say, is it conscious? Are they being conscious and conscientious of who's involved? There's a lot of conscious porn out there. So let's take the unconscious porn off the table for a second. So we're dissecting the frog here. (laughs) So bad and wrong about body, take it off. Bad and uh, uh, unconscious content, take that off for a minute. And this is conscious porn. Okay, then this comes down to what is your authentic pleasure?
0: I've never had this happen before. I my apologies. Yeah, no, that's okay.
1: That's okay. No, it usually means okay. that I, get a, I find when, the, when tech stuff happens, it means wrap it up. That's like literally, I, I believe in the energy of it because this is an yep. energy form. So anyway, all that to say is there are layers to pornography and you have to really dissect the layers for yourself first. And that's my yeah. take on pornography. It's a very layered topic and it can be very destructive if you don't look at it straight in the face and truthfully as you advocate for it. You have to do that individually first though.
0: Hmm. Yeah. So at the end of the day, because we've we've been through a variety of conversations, everything from the five erotic blueprints, your own personal journey into it regarding, you know, going through depression and how pleasure and that path of pleasure and finding your own unique pleasure really helped you to step into a space where you could begin to embody this this energy and this passion that is you and to share a space with other people to unlock that potential within themselves and to do the same. Mm -hmm. And now here we are really demystifying what I think a lot of what this conversation was about was about finding, and this is really interesting, finding your moderate.
1: Mm. Oh, I like that. That's cool.
0: Yeah. Finding your moderate, finding your middle way, figuring out what works for you. Cause like I'm one of those people heavily, I mean, like you said it like kink, like kinkies, uh, the, the naughties, most of what their decisions are based in is the avoidance of like this shame, but there's so much shame that's riddled into it. But I think in general, to some degree, like we have that experience around, our beingness and it's being able to find that space between full-blown hedonism and and full-blown stoicism and the avoidance of all of mm-hmm. it somewhere in between we can find that truth and i guess it's just being open and okay because for me it, as it pertains like pornography it was well it must be all bad right. the, the, so i need to completely avoid it yep. so then it left me in a place where i guess i should just do nothing because that's all i've ever known and right. I, so to to Advocate that to advocate that moderation to advocate that people find their way their unique pleasure their unique truth. I think that that that's so beautiful and brilliant, and uh, I can't thank you enough for sharing all of that with
1: us. Thanks, it was a pleasure. I I really do enjoy your energy, and I enjoy this conversation. And I'm really grateful for anyone who's stuck around with us this long. I'm really grateful that you did that as well. I I I I don't um, take that lightly. So thank you for anyone who's still listening.
0: and those who do are the ones who are meant to get it
1: exactly
0: <laughs> awesome mm. and if people want to stay connected with you here get more into the yummy world that mm. is finding our authentic pleasure where can people find you
1: yeah i'll go through all the tags uh beth at beth ostrander.com so my website is my name beth ostrander.com on uh instagram it's beth ostrander1 and on Facebook, Beth Ostrander 393. These are total random numbers. Although Beth Ostrander 1, if fits me, that's fine with me. <laughs> uh, so those are all the places. And um, maybe we, I could provide the link for the quiz because um, that would be awesome. The more people that can take the quiz and get this awareness, I would love that.
0: That will be in the show notes.
1: Okay, perfect.
0: Perfect. And and everything that we've discussed, if there was one thing that somebody could take from this and begin to apply to what I would say is really the root of this conversation is finding their authentic pleasure. What is one thing practically spreadsheets and all if need be, they can do (laughs) to, to unlock that potential.
1: Yeah. Ask yourself uh, as often as you can each day, once a day, at least, if I had everything my own way, what would I like to do right now? What do I desire right now? And just start practicing, asking yourself that that's magical. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Beth. thank you so much for being here, for taking time out of your precious life with your family, with your work, with yourself, to be here and to share this conversation with me. Uh, it means the world to me. Yeah.
1: You're welcome. I loved it. I enjoyed it fully.
0: <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. And uh, for those of you who are listening, again, thank you. If you stuck around this long, <laughs> it's been a, it's been a fun journey. And uh, as always, you're diving into these realms, this unknown, this uncertainty, this, this you know, sometimes seemingly scary world. Just know that on the other side of that, that unknown, that of fear, that uncertainty is oftentimes a uh, major breakthrough in and self-actualization if you will stepping into our highest potential and as always continue to find follow and live your truth and unleash and follow the wolf within you peace thank you so much for listening in if you got value out of this message We would love it if you subscribed and shared it with your tribe so we can continue to share this message and this medicine with people all over the world. Much love and peace be with you.